You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Tribe Supper, the Borough podcast at the Gazette and Seaside Live. Thank you for listening. I'm Dom Shaw, and coming up today, myself and Craig Johns discuss what has been a pretty perfect week for Borough so far on the pitch. We look at the club's accounts released on Thursday. We talk up Grant Hall, Yannick Velasti and Niskans Cavano, and we ask, who would Neil Warnock pick as his Player of the Year this season? Hope you enjoy. Please remember to like and subscribe, which of course is absolutely free. Hello, thank you for coming back and joining us on the Tripe Supper, our second episode, well, third episode if you include the Malcolm Christie interview from last week, um, but our second reg- regular episode since we relaunched uh, with myself, Dominic Shaw and Craig Johns. No Andrew Musgrove, but we haven't kicked him off. If, you know, you'd think that if he'd gone for good, his career on Tripe would have been as fleeting as Dwight T and Darley's at Borough, but he's just having the week off, isn't he, Craig? He's, he's having a well-earned break. That's right, yeah. Uh, one episode and already needing a break. Uh, says a lot, doesn't it? But uh, no, yeah, these, uh, exactly, yeah, true dedication. But no, he did have his uh, COVID vaccination this week as well, which is obviously fantastic news. Uh, so uh, great that he's had that, and hopefully many listeners either having that or soon to be getting that vaccine because, of course, that's the route in, uh, you know, kind of life returning to normal again. So, uh, you know, positive news there to begin with. And obviously the vaccination centre is opening at the Riverside next week, which is which is great news. Yeah, absolutely. Like you see, I mean, it all it all goes towards helping us kind of, you know, hopefully return to some kind of normality sometime soon because, I mean, you know, we can't complain. We're in this really privileged position where we're going to games still and, you know, watching them. But, you know, the fans are missing out ultimately. They're the ones who are, are not getting the games. And, and games just aren't the same, you know, the atmosphere in the stadium and everything. I mean, myself personally, I was there when 1,000 fans were there for the Bournemouth game earlier in the season. They did the, the test event, but that's my only experience of, of Middlesbrough fans at the Riverside. And even then, you know, they got the late equaliser through Marcus Brown and 1,000 fans made an incredible noise. I can't wait for 20-odd, 30,000 in the Riverside. And to hear that noise, that's going to be uh, some experience when I can finally live that. Especially, you know, I think back to the Preston game this week and, the, the you know, the, the controversy in the first half and the own goal kind of against the run of play and then the sending off. And, and you can imagine like how that sort of thing really stokes a crowd, doesn't it? There's been a few games this year. I think I mentioned it last week, the Birmingham away game. That was the one game when I thought... I can imagine Warner. He talked about it last week, didn't he? Going over and fist pumping the fans. And there's been a few away games and a few home games where I thought this would just be a completely different occasion if there was a packed Riverside or a packed away end. It is, yeah. It really does take away from, you know, the overall experience of a match day, even for a journalist. I think that crowd crowd is excellent. I was talking to someone earlier in the season about it and, you know, the, the fans help us as well because you, you you kind of spend a lot of the game almost looking down, typing, you know, tweeting, live blogging, whatever it is we do now. We have so much that we do do live during a match now and, and you can almost, um, you know, kind of react to, to the noises around you, you know, when someone's going close, when Middlesbrough are in a dangerous position, 
you, you can almost sense that something's about to happen through listening to the noise of the of the fans around you, whereas obviously that's not there at the moment. So you've almost got to have your eyes in, in two places now, you know, eyes in the back of your head almost at the minute. So, you know, having fans benefits us as well, without a doubt. On, on the pitch, it's been a excellent week, really, hasn't it? I mean, you know, I suppose to make it the perfect week, Barnsley would have lost at Wickham, but as Warnock said on Tuesday night, that was always very unlikely. But a win on Tuesday, followed by Reading dropping points the day after, um, it, the gap closes to five points and that hope just grows a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think ultimately, you know, whether it's Barnsley or Redden, Borough only need one of those to to drop off and then hopefully, you know, Bournemouth and, and Cardiff as well, who are just around them, but outside at the moment, you know. So Redden losing and, and Borough getting their two wins, their, their six points this week. We go into the weekend before the international break and, and Borough are more than still in it because, uh, you know, that gap's now five points and, and we're looking at Redden because Barnsley are on it, as you say, incredible form and don't really look like they're dropping at the minute. But but Redden perhaps perhaps they are and that, that gap's now five points and you know definitely more than back on again where it's been a good week for Borough. This yeah this isn't a case of me uh, being an aftertimer as Steve Bunce would say me and you are both uh, are both lovers of the Costello and Bunce uh, five live boxing pod. This isn't a case of being wise after the event, but I thought for a couple of weeks that Redden are the team more likely to drop out than Barnsley just because Barnsley are on you know what it's like when you get there's a team every year isn't there and when you get on a run like that and when I look at that table now I'm not for one minute saying Barnsley are going to finish in the top two but I think it's more likely that Barnsley finish in the top two than drop out of the top six they're they're on such a run you can I was looking last night at the table um and I think the Drew nil-nil with Nottingham Forest on a December the 30th or the end of December and there were 12th in the table then nondescript form you would never ever have predicted um, what's what's gone on since but I, I, Reading I faltered a little bit I, I, the night when Borough won there I, I looked and I thought then you know they, they I thought all season that they're going to drop out but I just think they look the most vulnerable now even if they do slip Borough still need to take advantage and they need to um, obviously do better than Bournemouth who were, who were directly above them and who were, uh, who were still capable of pulling out. I mean, apparently, by all accounts, they were excellent against Swansea the other night. And they've got the squad to turn it on, haven't they, at any, at any right. given moment. Um, I think if Borough can get a result at Millwall, you go to Bournemouth and that is a huge game after the break. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Bournemouth haven't got a, a league game this weekend, have they? Because they're in FA Cup action. So, of course, things will tighten up there, as you see. And um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting there. But I think just, yeah, what credit uh, to Middlesbrough just to be in this pack. You know what I mean? Just They just keep this season going. I mean, after the Swansea loss, um, you know, the weekend before last, you almost felt like, that might be it now, you know. It was uh, there was a bit of controversy around how the game went, of course, and you know it was it wasn't mathematically impossible. And and we said at the time, like you know, you can never rule this Middlesbrough team out because they do just keep going and they, they keep fighting. But you did feel that that was potentially, particularly because of the controversy around the game as well, that that might have just been that for the season, really, in terms of of realistically challenging. And then the comeback, you know, they beat Stoke three nil, they beat Preston two nil. Two really good home performances, and and suddenly, like you see, Redden Redden drop some points, and, and and the season's wide open again. I mean, how much credit do Neil Warnock and that Middlesbrough team deserve? Because they just refuse to give in, and they are giving it absolutely everything. It, it is thrilling to watch. Do you think? I was thinking this the other night. Do Do you think um, Warnock's future 
uh, and the fact he's committed to 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 staying next season has helped Borough on the pitch because since that, uh, I think I'm right in saying there's, there's there's three games, Swansea, and then obviously the two home games. They were excellent despite the defeat at, at Swansea. I think it was one of the best performances of the season when you take into account who they were up against. Um, really good against Stoke after that after you know after the shaky start and the change things, and then against Preston. Um, yeah, it was a slow start and, and the road the look in the first half, but still took full advantage in the second half. I just think it's probably three of the more polished performances we've seen. And I wonder whether that's just a coincidence or whether the, the fact that the, the players know exactly where to stand for next season um, has, has just helped them out a little bit. I'm not sure. What do you reckon? Yeah, perhaps it's a it's a fair point, but I think also you know you say they know exactly where they stand, but actually there'll be certain players who who probably don't know where they stand, and you know Warnock's alluded to the fact that some of them are actually probably playing for the future. They're playing to to kind of prove that they should be part of the plans next season. You look at um, Jed Spence, for example, who came in against Stoke and unfortunately got injured towards the end of the game, but that was probably one of his best performances for, for quite some time. Um, and, you know, he's probably one of those players who you would put in that category of of perhaps slightly uncertain. I mean, he's at, he's at a good age, Jed. I would imagine they will want to retain him next season. But, um, you know, there, there are numerous players, really, who are kind of, you know, playing for the future under Warnock. Now they know that Warnock is the manager, the rest of this season almost has to be proven that they should be around next season because you know, even, even some of the regulars this season might be looking and thinking, well, you know, it's perceivable that if I'm not pulling my weight here in the summer, they might look to upgrade on me. So, you know, they, for the rest of the season, at the very least, these players need to be kind of sure you don't need to find someone better than me uh, in the summer because... I'm already better than anything you're going to get. So, you know, there could be that factor. And, um, and yeah, and I think we're also seeing a kind of, a kind of combination of things starting to come together as well. I think Balassi's starting to get, uh, get his fitness up. He kind of came in at a couple of games, didn't he? And then got injured, which was a, a real shame, but now he's back in the side and, and looking good. And I think he, he and, uh, he and these kids combine or make Burrow look a completely different side. Um, They've been relatively solid most of the time. Well, more than relatively solid. They've been very solid most of the time this season. They've had the odd off year, as most sides will. But in general, they've been brilliant at the back, and and the issues have been at the other end of the pitch. But you know, I've got, but now with with Cabano and Balassi, they've just they've got two players there, and, and not just those two. Actually, they've got players on the bench, uh, which is even better. The likes of Mendes, Lang, what more, Marvin Johnson, players end of the pitch essentially and, and I think you know we're seeing kind of all that come together now and uh, you know fitness build at the right time um, for that to be really effective as well I thought Cabano and Balassi were were brilliant against both Stoke and Preston When you look at the bench as well I know we've talked about this a few times but that, that bench on Tuesday night um, that'd rival any bench in the Championship and when you consider there was no Britta Sombolonga in there now I know you know, the way things have gone the last few weeks for Asombolonga, he's certainly not first choice. And you wonder how much of a role, uh, certainly a major role, he's going to play in the running. But he, he's still got a, a largely unrivaled record in the championship for most of his career. So to have those options while still, uh, while your record signing isn't even involved. Yeah, I mentioned it to Warnock after the game. I remember a couple of uh, games early in the first half of the season when there were six or seven subs and a couple of those were were young lads who 
you know, if we're being frank, they were on there. Not to make up the numbers, but certainly uh, more to benefit from the experience, I think, rather than with them um, getting a game, being at the forefront of Warnock's thoughts. Um, to have those options on the bench. And I think certainly against Preston, we saw how you benefit from that because against 10 men, when you're tiring, um, and you're leaving gaps as Preston did. I don't think you know. I know they were. I know they were furious with the decision, but I, I don't think they adapted well at all to the sending off. Um, both tactically and mentally as well. They, they still they didn't seem to clear the heads for me at half time. They were all over the place when they came out in the second half. And Bully took full advantage. You know, Tav coming on, buzzing about. He's you know perfect for him, isn't it? To come on to a midfield full of space, and then to be able to call on the likes of Johnson and Mendes Lang and. Fletcher, even Spence and Colson, who, who didn't come on, to stretch the game when you're a couple of goals ahead. It's just perfect, isn't it? Especially for the way Warnock wants to play. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you alluded to it there. I thought that half-time substitution, bringing Tavernier on uh, when he did, I thought that was a, a stroke of genius. I mean, he, he mentioned after the game, didn't he, that uh, he was kind of concerned that they might try uh, to wind Sam Morsi up. He'd been booked and obviously he was involved in the uh, in the red card for, for the Preston player, Brown. Um, so I, I could understand that kind of thinking, but I just thought, like you see, like, to bring Tavernier on into that midfield, I really liked having that midfield three as the the more advanced of the, of the three, I think. Yeah, uh, you know, he's got the energy where he'll still work for the team, but he, he's, you know, he's so positive and he looks to make things happen. He he has the energy and he'll he'll do things in the final third. And because he came on and got a got a goal as well, so I, I thought that was a, a bit of a stroke of genius from Warnock to bring Tavernier on into that game when he did. And uh, you know, um, praise for Warnock. You know, overall as well, because I mean, it was in the Stoke game as well. We, uh, you know, we mentioned they had the slow start there, and uh, 17 minutes in, they kind of made the change and pushed McNair into midfield. Um, went from three at the back to to a back four, and McNair more into the midfield, and and that completely changed the Stoke game as well. So, uh, yeah, I think obviously. Middlesbrough this season have had plenty where they've they've had it go against them. Um, you know they've had bad decisions. They've been on the end of some rotten luck. And uh, Tuesday against Preston, they were the beneficiaries of 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 kind of you know what might have been perceived as as controversial refereeing. I don't think there was any issue with the fact that Brown got the red card, but certainly Sam Morsi could have also saw red. I think that's the what you could see was controversial. But what was pleasing to see was that, like you said, Borough were the team who reacted to that, and, and they were quite they could have maybe scored more and improved the goal difference, but the the, the control of that second half, and uh, you know that was pleasing to see them be against both Stoke and Preston, quite ruthless in, in different ways. Yeah, you, you mentioned Tav there. Uh, I, I think he's the one player I've enjoyed watching more than any other this season. And, and I know, you know, Paddy McNair's been brilliant, both in defence and in midfield. Um, Dale Fry's made massive steps forward and he's kind of shown that he's the defender we've thought he's been for a few years. Uh, and, you know, Bowler, Dyke Steele, both brilliant kind of surprise packages, really. Bowler even more so. But I just think when you consider that um, Tavernier wouldn't wasn't starting Warnock's first few games in charge last season. Even you know he came off the bench and scored at Stoke in Warnock's first game in charge, and still had to be patient. And yet now we know that Warnock has settled on that back four or five. You know who's going to play week in week out. But going forward, uh, you know going we, we stayed only ten minutes before the team news. You can probably put seven or eight into the graphic, but there's two or three you can't. And more often than not, they're the attacking players. Yet. Tavernier, if he's fit and available, will will be in that team. And 
you know, you, it's not difficult to see why. And he's still only 20, I think he's 22 next week, um, which is, no, I mean, you're not a kid anymore, but, you, you know, to, to have established yourself as such a, a crucial first-team player in the championship, in that sort of position as well, because it's so difficult, isn't it, to be consistent as a forward, as a winger, as an attacking midfielder. I think that's probably what separates a lot of Premier League and Championship um, attacking midfielders or wingers. In the On the day, Championship wingers are absolutely unplayable. But you might only get one day every three or four weeks. It's finding that consistency. Whereas I think we've seen brilliant consistency from Tavernier this season. And I've said again and again and again, I just think Borough look a much better team when he's in the side. Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, you mentioned his age and everything. He, he, he made it to 100 appearances earlier in the season, didn't he? I mean, how many 22-year-olds now these days make it to 100 appearances? You know, but well, how, how many make it to 100 appearances before they turn 22? I can't imagine there's many do that now. You're talking about your kind of, you know, your really elite players who come through early like Tavernier has. And, uh, you know, really impressive. And, and just to throw this one in as well, I know we've still got two games left, uh, 10 games left this season, obviously, but you went through quite a lot of players there while having brilliant seasons. I mean, how hard is it going to be looking at it at the minute to pick a player of the season? There's so many worthy candidates and yeah, it's going to be difficult to kind of to pick one and not have people say, well, actually I thought it should have been that one. I should have been that one. Whoever doesn't get it, you know, be unfortunate not to get it. There's so many candidates for that player of the season. Who do you think um, if Warnock had to pick one, who, who do you think is would be McNair or Fry? Oh yeah, that's a that's a tough one, Warnock. Um, we know he loves think, we know he loves Dykesteel, but I, th- I think I don't know. I mean, McNair and Fry are the two. Yeah, McNair's the best player he's ever managed, didn't he? Yeah. That's uh, right. Yeah, I, th- I think, I think go with McNair. Yeah, I think. See, I think I'd lean, he'd lean towards uh, Deal Fry. Me, so I think you saw just how important Fry is when Fry wasn't there, um, and and yeah, and I think there was that. Brilliant quote from one. It wasn't the where he mentioned uh, the the players who were injured kind of get changed and everything in the oh, little back room. And and, and Warnock said he'd he'd gone through and it was he just wanted to see Deal's face because it just cheered him up. And <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, I think he'd, he'd, he'd go Fry, mate. I think uh, you saw when Fry was absent just how important he is. That's one for him in a few weeks. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, still that's still up for grabs. There are ten games to go. There's. You know, probably five, six, seven players who, if they could do something big in this in these last ten games, they'd probably cement that uh, that player of the uh, player of the year award. We'll talk individuals in a bit because I want to mention uh, Grant Hall, who's been brilliant, and and you touched on uh, Balassi and Cabano there, um, who who obviously played their part in both home wins. Um, but first, just talk about the accounts that were released on on Thursday morning. Um, Craig, you've been working on it on 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 the morning. I think you know. Sorry, this morning. Without going over all the figures again, um, you know, it's there on our on our site if you if you want to have a read of of all the numbers. Um, and also, uh, Kieran Maguire, Price of Football on Twitter has has done a thread as he often does when uh, accounts are released, just breaking down the um the various headline figures. What what what's come out of it, Craig? What's the what's the what's the headline news from it really? Yeah, so obviously um, the club have uh, recorded a um, record loss of £35 million, which is uh, obviously a, a huge loss for the club. And uh, it just shows kind of, you know, the club have 
the the majority, the bulk of that loss has been um, for the loss of, uh, you know, the end of the parachute payments from the Premier League, which has obviously been massive. And um, and then obviously this this the accounts run up to June 2020. So we'll see in the kind of first what is it for three or four months of kind of the impact of, of COVID-19 as well. And, uh, you know, so huge losses for the club, but um, I think what the account shows is just how important Steve Gibson and, and, and Neil Warnock as well are at Middlesbrough at the minute. I mean, you know, the accounts come with a commitment from, from Gibson uh, to continue kind of funding the club and, uh, you know, helping the club uh, in the, certainly for the next year. And uh, you see just how much he is still putting into the club. Um, even if we're not seeing it directly all the time with transfers, as we might have done in years gone by, he is funding that club and keeping that club going during such a difficult period, um, as as we know it will be. And and I think you know you almost because those accounts end in June 2020, and we're now March 2021. You almost have to look at what's come since then. And obviously, you know, we've still had investment. The accounts show that they've um, spent 3.6 million, I think, off the top of my head on on buying players this season. But it's the wages as well. I mean, you think of a, a club that, you know, we're then going to, the next accounts will truly reveal the true extent of, of COVID-19 and the loss of, of revenue and advertising and everything that comes with that. Uh, but, you know, this season, he still, Steve Gibson, tried to back Neil Warnock as much as he possibly could. You look at things like Duncan Watmore signing in November as a free agent. Um, obviously, Ashley Fletcher had gotten injured just before the end of the transfer window and they kind of needed that extra attacker. But... It would have been so easy for, for Gibson to kind of say, look, you know, finances are hard. These times are hard. We've got no fans in. I just can't give you the money to get Watmore in. But he didn't. He backed Warnock and he, he allowed him to sign Duncan Watmore. And then you move forward to January and, you know, he, he lets them bring in Balassi and Mendes Lang and Fisher at right back. And then, you know, last kind of minutes of the trans, last hours of the, the transfer window, Fulham get back in touch and see our Cabano suddenly uh, available again, someone who they had been wanting but didn't look like they were going to get. And, uh, and Warnock went back to Gibson then, you know, with two hours left of the window and said, like, I know we've got Mendes, like, I know we've got Balassi, but Fulham are letting us have Cabano now. And, and, and Gibson, you know, he pulled that one out and he said, oh, you give that the green light and he let them bring Cabano in as well. And as we mentioned not so long ago, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, the, the the kind of positive effect of that now on the pitch with Cabano and Balassi in particular looking so brilliant. So I think, you know, I mean, that, that kind of commitment where Gibson seems to still want success on the pitch and still believes the finances of the club will turn around through success on the pitch is, uh, you know, it's a credit to Steve Gibson and how important he is to Middlesbrough. But, um, yeah, and then I think as, as we see, you know, the wage bill comes down, players obviously left from those accounts, the likes of, of um, Rudy Gested and, and players like that. Uh, and, you know, a big turnaround in the squad last summer from where they were 17th, where they finished 17th and just stayed in the championship uh, with with limited kind of, you know, ability to spend and, and improve, well, I wouldn't say improve that squad because he's definitely improved that squad, but to, to you know, rebuild that squad is probably a better way of phrasing that. You know, Borough, where they are now, where they're challenging for the playoffs, it's been an incredible turnaround. So, you know, I think those accounts and looking, 
you know, kind of more further forward from them. Uh, uh, credit the both Steve Gibson and Neil Warnock personally. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the uh, the parachute payments there, and um, the, the main TV income was down to eight million from forty million, which is staggering, isn't it? And then when, as you say, when you when you take into account the catastrophic effect of COVID and, and what it's had on clubs in the EFL as well. And there was a couple of lines that caught my eye in the statement. Um, the club will continue to keep control of operating costs, make as much income as possible available to invest in the football team. The club will continue to strive for progression and promotion of the Premier League. You know, even, even taking into account the difficulties at the minute. And I think what's made it so difficult this season for clubs um, is the uncertainty. You know, earlier in the season, there was the there was the pilot at Bournemouth and the 1,000 fans, which went absolutely brilliantly. I was I was talking to fans uh, for a feature I'm working on, um, and, and one of them was talking about being at the Bournemouth game, and, and he talked about how that that the Riverside that day was probably the safest place on Teesside because that much had been done. You know, there was no way you were going to go there and um, and and be at risk to, to, to almost feel like the light, there's light at the end of the tunnel then. And then, and then for that to be, um, not to be come crashing down again, I think that makes it, you know, even even more difficult for clubs that uncertainty. Um, but even taking into account everything that's uh, that's gone on, you know, Borough aren't just settling for survival uh, on and off the pitch. They, they, you know, they're still striving for success and and striving for ultimately promotion to the Premier League. And, and on the pitch, obviously, as you as you mentioned there, Craig. We've seen that improvement from the difficulties of, of last season to this season. Um, and that takes us into, regardless of whether Borough go up this season, um, I think it's important that Borough sign off this season on a high because it just builds momentum for next season. We've heard Warnock talking about that already. And season ticket sales are, are going really well. Warnock's talked about how he's heard so much about managing in front of a packed Riverside. Um, so, so I think... It all builds in the coming weeks towards next season. As Warnock said, if Borough are going to go up this year, if Borough can go up this year, brilliant. You certainly, you know, beggars can't be choosers when it comes to promotion. But if they don't, on and off the pitch, um, with 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 the team that Warnock's building and how he's talked about the excitement of what 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 could be here in four or five years' time, um, and the improvement we've seen. This season, I think there's a real excitement building, certainly within the fan base, of getting back and, and what next season could be. Um, in terms of on the pitch, obviously going going back to that, uh, Craig, you mentioned Yannick Balassi and, and Niskan's Cabano a couple of times. Um, but another player I think is worthy of, of praising is, is Grant Hall, who was absolutely brilliant again against Preston in midweek, uh, as he had been against Stoke. He was excellent against Swansea. Um, I don't think he's put a foot wrong since he came back. and. And when you look at the first half of the season uh, and, and the spell he missed out of action, the long four or five months because that calf injury he picked up at QPR, um, he must have watched on from the sidelines there, not only frustrated at the fact that he thought this was going to be his opportunity to, to build, you know, to almost restart his career after his injury troubles at QPR, um, but he must have watched on from the sidelines there and wondered how on earth he was going to break back into the team because you looked at how well Dale Fry was playing, Paddy McNair was playing, Anthony Dykesteel was 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 obviously um, impressing as well in that central role. So for me, Craig, from, from January onwards, um, Hall's, Hall's I, th- I think you can make a case for Hall being the player of the second half of the season so far. Yeah, absolutely. He's been, he's been brilliant, hasn't he? I mean, he's come into that team and... Um, and you know he's just continued on where you know where 
Burra have been solid all season um, at the back. He's come in and just seamlessly slotted in and and continued it on. And I think uh, his return has been quite timely because, uh, you know, we saw at times Burra struggle against the more physical sides. And in recent weeks, they've, they've, they've come up against some physical sides. And, um, and you know, and having Hall in there alongside Fry has been really pivotal for, for kind of picking up the points that they have when they've needed them. And and as you touched on, you know, kind of almost um, some leadership qualities there as well that, um, that you know, I think Burra needed and obviously Warnock's alluded to quite a few times now that uh, that the lack and, and just having Hall there, it's just, it's almost showed them up even more than what they already were. And, uh, yeah, very timely return. Uh, I should just say, by the way, I think uh, it, it needs uh, Dom needs a bit of praise there. I'm uh, slightly out of breath as I answer that whole question because uh, nobody can actually see us we're recording. But uh, I've uh, I've had some people out working on my roof, and uh, so as we started talking about the football finance, there they started knocking on the door, and I had to go and run. So I'm not sure exactly how uh, how long it's been, but Dom's been carrying this podcast and chatting while I haven't actually been there for a good few minutes there. So I think uh, some some credit for Dom there for just uh, carrying that on, almost a, a grand hall shift, just uh, seamlessly <laughs> slotted in there and letting the podcast flow as though I was there all along. But uh, no. I return out of breath, having run to get back. And uh, yeah. I can see your door uh, on your camera, and I was just thinking, "Come on, Craig, man! I was desperate for you. I was desperate for you to appear. Take this the right way. I've never been as happy to see you when you when you, when you showed your face. Background, background there. Um, uh, I heard the knock, and I thought, "Oh no, what a time to knock!" knock <laughs> um, just on hall, I'm really pleased for him personally as well because. That I talked to him at the start of the year when just after he'd signed, and obviously we talked about uh, his problems at QPR. Um, and, and I think footballers can so often be labelled as, as being injury prone because they've been injured, whereas that was not the case with Hall. Injury prone for me is breaking down with one injury after another, a hamstring tear one week, a calf strain the next week, uh, you know, all these sorts of things. Whereas with Hall at QPR, it was one chronic knee problem, knee tendonitis, that just could not be fixed. And he tried absolutely everything. Um, and, and, you know, he, he admits, and, you, you know, there's various interviews he's done where he talks at length about it and how difficult it was. Um, he admits to, to fearing at times that, you know, he wasn't going to be able to get back on the pitch. So to get his move in the summer, he finally got over the, the, the knee problem, got his move in the summer, talked about his excitement of being a fresh start. Um, and, you know, he's a player who should be at the peak of his career now, so it was an exciting move for him. So for him to break down like that with a nondescript calf injury, we've seen it again and again this season, haven't we? Probably because of the um, what Warnock described as a horrendous schedule this week. Um, I was gutted for him. So to then come back in and, and make his way you know, force his way into the team and you can't drop him at the minute. Yeah, on a, on a personal level, I'm, I'm really pleased for him as well. Yeah, and of course he was, um, you know, the calf injury that he initially suffered at QPR, he was, he was close to coming back from, from that, wasn't he? I think it was kind of late November, early December time. He was, he was, I think, well, he was, he was back in training and, uh, and kind of looking to, to get back into the team and then totally, you know, innocuous injury where he, he says he was, there was, um, quotes with him not so long ago he was he was kind of I think he, he went to play a pass in training and and something happened with the hip I, I think the hip popped out or something like that it was and I remember the quote at the time and 
I haven't got them hand, but yeah, it was something really, really strange. Just you know, and it, and it set him back another couple of months. And you just think sometimes, how's your luck? You know what I mean? Like how unfortunate is that? And like you say, for him to to just you know knuckle down. And, and Warnock's alluded to it a couple of times that he's he's dropped a bit of weight as well. He's looking a lot leaner, so he must have worked so so hard to get back in. And then as you say, you know, he's just slotted into that team so seamlessly, and and in many ways, you know, improved them and, and come in as we see it at, at a really important time um, and, and not just at the back as well you, how, how often this season have we heard Warnock crying out for um, a threat from attacking set pieces and suddenly Grant Hall's an attacking threat from set pieces he's got two in three games he's uh, you know, brilliant absolutely brilliant I love stories like that and credit to him and, and he's a leader as well I think that's the other thing that Warnock's talked about you know he's maybe still not quite the, the Morrison figure that he had at Cardiff but Warnock I think only last week you'd asked him about it and he said he, he's certainly the closest we've got to that vocal leader Warnock's talked a lot hasn't he about yeah Johnny Housen's a leader but he probably leads by actions rather than shouting and bawling um, throughout training and games whereas Hall Warnock says he's probably the closest he's got to that um, just finally today Craig for a wrap up just, just want to talk about Balassi and Cabano because you did a piece on them this week after the game against Preston. Um, and what, what struck me about them both is, I guess kind of the, the quality was never in doubt. You know, the wingers who were coming down from the Premier League, Balassi uh, in particular, £25 million man. We've all seen him at his very best. Um, but coming to a, a championship club on loan halfway through the season, there are countless examples of loan players who've, who've moved to clubs on short stints and, and they've gone back without any imprint of, of evidence that they've been there. Whereas I look at Balassi and Cabano, and, and Warnock's talked about how, how positive they are around the place, but the, the desire and the delight, I mean, the, just the way they celebrate goals <laughs> is an obvious example. They seem to have really invested in, in, in the Borough and all that comes with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, they're both an absolute delight to watch. And, and as I uh, mentioned earlier, they've, they've just added that bit of positivity, haven't they? And, and not just positivity, but entertainment as well. We mentioned fans not getting back. And, you know, I'm sure we'll come on and talk about the futures. But it would be such a shame if Borough fans don't ever get to watch that pair in person. You know, at the minute, obviously watching on the streams, they're just the natural entertainers. There's that moment in the Stoke game where Balassi was faced up with the defender, and he's he's jigging the shoulders and dropping the, you know, like he does, and looking to get a yard of space. And then the the, the hand just came and and swept on the floor, and you know, that's just who does it. You know, it's it's, it's an enigma. Balassi, oh, he's, I'm falling in love with Balassi. I really am. He's uh, he's he's wonderful to watch, and then you see him, you know, after games on social media and things like that and the way he interacts with fans and uh, I'm falling in love with Yannick Balassi what a player and you know just he seems like a genuinely great guy and, and Cabano similarly the both there uh, the both, like you say, seem to have really taken the, to playing for the club, helping the club, and and they are having a huge impact at the moment because they are making Borough a team where opposition defences have to be wary of them because of how positive they are. I mean, you just take the take the first goal against Preston, the own goal. I mean, it was a slice of luck, quite literally, in Bur- for Borough when uh, Story sliced that into the back of his own net. But it comes from Balassi being positive. He he wanted to receive the ball, and then when he received the ball, his only thought was. Positive. 
putting that into a dangerous area and it wasn't even a good ball into the box I think he'd admit himself that he, he, he put in 9 out of 10 of his crosses that he put into a box would be better than that one but he had the positive thinking the one to receive that ball and then put it into a dangerous area it didn't need to be a good ball the defender made the mistake and Burrow wound up in the game and I wrote that in the piece you, you mentioned there you know positive thinking breeds success and, and that's what you're getting from from Balassi and, and Cabano and um you know, I mentioned there that the futures obviously uh, both on loan, both have different circumstances in the future. I mean, it would be brilliant, wouldn't it, for for Burris' chances next season if they would get even one of the two back next season? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you would you would imagine with Cabano that that might well it's very likely to depend on what happens with Fulham. Although when you look at the bottom of the Premier League at the minute, you'd certainly be more confident of Fulham staying up than. Uh, than uh, Newcastle United. Just on um, Balassi there, you mentioned uh, social media. There was that lovely um, tweet this week that he'd gone round and dropped. I think the kid had written him a letter. Yes, yeah. Received it and gone round. Obviously, all, all socially distanced, of course, gone round and dropped dropped the kid off, um, which is class. He, he's, he's very human on Twitter, isn't he? Which is class to see. It's refreshing. He's, he's great and he talks to fans. He, You know, you only have to look at his... Who he's following, and he clearly followed all you know the fan accounts and 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 um, and responds and chats to them regularly. Marcy does the same. I, I think that's great. I really do. Yeah. And another thing, you you talked about that that trick he did against Stoke. Did you see that training clip last week uh, where he'd done this move in training? And have you you know when when Lomachenko fights and he knocks someone out, and you have to watch the punch three or four times, and you still can't work out where it's come from. Yeah. <laughs> I was slowly down watching it, and I still couldn't work out what he'd done. So God knows what it must be like to be a defender trying to stop him doing it. Yeah, I, th- I think Warwick alluded to that when he was first signing him, wasn't he? He said, uh, you know, but half the time, Balassi doesn't know what he's going to do next. So how can a defender know what he's going to do? It's uh, that unpredictability, but he is. He's a joy to watch. He's uh, And then, like you see, I mean, his he's interactions with fans and everything on social media, I mean, particularly because he's a lone player as well, you know what I mean? He, he might, I mean, Hopefully he isn't, but he, he might only be here for until the end of the season. But you know, he's just he's he's embraced it and he's he's really got involved. Like you see, he's followed fan accounts and uh, I noticed on his Instagram last night he was kind of doing a little Q and A and. Um, Somebody had asked him what, what he loves most about being at the club and uh, so far, and he just said, uh, you know, the love he's receiving from everybody is uh, is what he's enjoyed about it most so far. And I, I think that works in, in both ways, you know what I mean? Like he's, he is entertaining to watch, but he's also, like you see, there's, there's that real human quality to him off the pitch as well when he's uh, interacting with everyone on, on social media. It is, uh, it's lovely to see. But um, I guess we shouldn't ignore as well though, the uh, the the other side of that, and of course there was the uh, the the racism towards him on social media, uh, which was you know there's, there's absolutely no place for that. It's absolutely disgusting, and and uh, fair play to him for calling that out, and uh, pleasing to say that there was an arrest on that, and uh, you know it's it's 2021 now. Why why is that a thing? You know why are we still discriminating people you know footballers or anybody in life based on you know race gender whatever sexuality whatever it is why is that still a thing it's ridiculous but no uh, uh, Yannick Balassi is you know he just seems like a fantastic human being yeah well said I I think you know 
here's me saying that it's great to see Balassi being so honest and human on on social media, which it is. And, you know, we, we, I probably won't be the only one who said over the years that it'd be great to see more of that from footballers. But then when you see the flip side of it and when you see what they have to put up with, you can completely understand why they want to distance themselves and stay a million miles miles away from it. As you say, well well done, Yannick, for, for calling... For calling um, the culprit out and uh, obviously resulted um, in, in the court appearance this week. Um, just just finally then, Millwall this weekend, you're heading down there. What, what are your thoughts? What's your prediction? Yeah, it's um, it's another tough game. Millwall are, you know, a physical side. Um, we saw earlier on in the season, that was the one where Middlesbrough, of course, they were, they were 3-0 up after 19 minutes, weren't they? I certainly wouldn't mind that one again. Um, it makes it right in the match report uh relatively easy when you're pretty much fairly comfortable with the result after 20 minutes of the game but um, yeah I think it'll probably be a tougher game this time down uh, down there but uh, Middlesbrough going with, with plenty of momentum you know the tails are up they seem to be as the games have got more important you know Stoke and Preston have, have been important games particularly on the back of the Swansea defeat because they, they did, as Warnock said himself, become must-win games, and, and Millwall's no different. And, yeah, I think it's um, it's quite exciting that Middlesbrough have, have almost raised the game when the stakes have been so high. Um, so, yeah, prediction-wise, I think um, it w- it'll be a tough game, but I'll, I'll go for another 2-0 win for Borough. Yeah, that'd be nice. It takes in in the international break on a on a real high, wouldn't it? Um, well, thanks very much, Craig. Appreciate that. Sorry to disrupt your uh, your afternoon of getting the gutter sorted. Um, <laughs> Hang on, you you're not uh, you're not dropping out before giving your own predictions for Saturday. Are you? I'm not letting you oh, get away with that. Well, did we get it right last week? What did we? Uh, say we did. Yeah, yeah. You copied of mine. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, and God, yeah. I should have gone first this time. You've gone two 0 Yeah. Um, I'm good. I'm gonna go. Uh, a proper gritty one nil. Uh, one of my mates, I used uh, well, I still have a mate, bloody hell, he, he, if he's listening, he's, uh, yeah, you're still very much my best mate. Um, he, he always used to say that he prefers a one nil away win to a five nil away win. I think it comes back from his footy manager days. Um, and he, yeah, he used to say it's just that satisfaction of a proper gritty one nil away win, preferably a, either a, a one, an early goal and then a proper. Game management job to see it out, or or a late goal, a smashing grab. So um, I'd like a five nil on Saturday, but I'm I'm going to go for a one nil, a gritty one nil, and I think it just all helps to build that belief. Um, you know, because this season is very much alive, and the third win in a week it, it send us all in the international break on a high. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. Cheers, Craig. Thanks very much, and thank you for listening. Um, please remember to subscribe and and let us know your thoughts on the podcast. If there's anything you want us to discuss. Uh, please just get in touch with us on, on Twitter. Thank you. Take care.